And we are back with another wonderful episode of, I don't know, what are we doing? IRC Oblivion. For the folks listening, I'm going to preface this episode by saying that I am not well. Uh, I don't think I sound too terrible, but my lungs are rattling and I will be doing a lot of coughing. So if there are uh, hard cuts in this episode from editing, that is why. But I'm going to try to hold it together and uh, not die in at least for 15 minutes. I think I can hold it for 15 minutes. 15 minutes would be good. Yeah. As long as I don't breathe in hard or exhale too deeply, I'm fine. If I just stay in the nice middle area, my lungs seem to work. <laughs> but the very first thing I want to read is actually very lengthy and has big words, so I'm probably not going to make it through. Uh, so you, you can might, do it. So you might have to take over at some point. Um, Wait, what am I reading? I don't know. Something about something on something. What's today's story? Uh, the Soul is Not a Smithy by David Foster it's- Wallace. It's definitely not a smithy. We've um, seen this. Believe it or not, sir, I actually really like this story. So you can't say, I know I made it sound like I didn't enjoy anything I've read in this book so far. I just didn't care for the first story. The second story, which is the only other one I've read so far, <laughs> I actually uh, I enjoyed. The synopsis is pretty simple. It starts off, it's about a kid. Um, I don't remember if it ever states his name, but he is reflecting on a memory from his school in Columbus, Ohio in 1960. And it was a traumatic event in class one day when they had a substitute teacher. Without giving away the ending, which I don't think it really matters, a book that's 2000-ish published, the writing style on this was very unique. I I would say brilliant. I really enjoyed how this was written Mm -hmm. because pretty much what it is is there's this uh, substitute teacher who kind of goes off the wall here goes crazy it ends up there's like a shooting situation the kid in the classroom who is deemed like he might have a learning disability or is kind of slow i got that he was just kind of like you know adhd a little bit maybe not even hyper just had attention deficit disorder uh or at least was bored in class he was a daydreamer let's just put it that way he daydreams very extensively and in this class he gets put by the window and the window has this weird grid style mesh where he envisions each panel of the mess as mesh as like a story that he's unfolding in his head. And so you get all these split narratives in this story and he's not actually paying attention to this traumatic event that he was involved in. Uh, So the telling of the story from that aspect I thought was really cool because it actually gives you a sense of what it would be like as a, what is he supposed to be like seven in this story? Something like that. So it gives you a sense of what like a seven year old's, memory of something like this would happen because seven-year-olds aren't focusing on everything that's going on you know you're not just going to remember oh yeah this is what lesson was given it like everything's very fragmented and it's more about the other things the kid sees and uh is pretending to see rather uh his daydreams and his thought process and i really like that i don't know about you but i thought that was really cool yeah, I, I really enjoyed the uh, the comic book sort of feel to it, um, how he was narrating his own life. I like the irony of something incredibly important happening, and he wasn't aware that it was happening. And so he's kind of reminiscing about not remembering that it happened. I thought that was kind of cool and kind of spoke to how so many important things probably happened to us throughout our day. Granted, you know, I don't know. I don't have any living memories of substitute teachers having, you know, psychotic breaks, but um, important things happening around us that we're completely unaware of. And if we were to look back and try to remember what was going on, we'd pay attention to, we'd only be, well, you know, I was on my phone checking my Twitter and then, you know, I was in the, the soup aisle. So I was like, hey, 
there's a new, you know, can of soup over here. And I was like, this is actually very, very normal for the average person not being aware that, oh, and then there was also an active shooter in the area, had no clue, or, hey, there was a, uh, a tornado touching down two miles away from us, but had no clue about that. I was, you know, comparing prices on uh, either Campbell's bean soup or the off-brand, and I was like, is there really a difference? And just it, it was it was kind of cool to to see that um, you know the the narrator had no clue what was going on and didn't really know anything that was going on until afterwards and he was told everything. Yeah, that was very interesting, and he was able to actually break down like what was going on with the other people in the room, but couldn't remember because he wasn't paying attention to what actually was happening. You know, like there was a kid who threw up. He knew the whole history of that kid when he gets nervous and he threw up. And things like that were very interesting. Just the way that he was able to break things down. Again, almost info dump like how Mr. Squishy was, where there's a lot of information being thrown at you in this story. From But now it's from this kid's perspective. But I thought it was a lot more interesting in this story. It was, while all of it might not have been necessary, it at least served a purpose. Yeah. And then there was a couple other things that were really cool, like... He was talking about his nightmare, like his biggest nightmare was his father's life who just had to go work every day, this awful, boring job, come home, and it was just like this mundane day-to-day life. That was his nightmare, and the way he wrote about that I thought was incredible, and it was just like, oh, man, that is terrible sounding. And then he, yeah. and then he also wrote about like dreams in such a cool way about falling asleep and how there's this period before you fall asleep where you're aware that you're dreaming or going into a dream state but you're still Mm -hmm. active and you're you can even almost have some uh impact on the dream because you're aware that it's there but then eventually you go over to that other realm and then uh things change and then you're you know you lose control usually but i just thought it was really cool how he anything like that even like the kid daydreaming like the way he wrote about it it was just like, how does someone write about someone daydreaming where it feels like you're actually there in the daydream? Like, I thought that was amazing. Very few writers, I think, have the skill to pull something like that off. Like, you could talk about the daydream and how he broke it down into those little narrate, like narratives and different panels and things like that. But to make it seem like an actual daydream you're witness, you know, witnessing or experiencing, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, and it's um, that's one of the things, like, uh, I wrote a few uh, stories further on, but beginning to realize that uh, Wallace really doesn't write outside of a normal person's capabilities of understanding. He has a bigger um, vocabulary, and his writing style is very not normal. Like, you have to get used to long sentences and big paragraphs. So at first, it does take work to get used to, but I think that's that's kind of true of you know, going back and reading Poe or anything like that, reading the poetry of Whitman or, you know, even getting used to reading Hemingway and his very chop way of uh, structuring his sentences and paragraphs, you kind of just, you have to train yourself to get used to reading a, a new a new style. And I think Wallace's style of doing this is actually very normal, is kind of what I'm getting, is he... He talks about strange things or everyday things, but they have such an incredible impact. And you can be like, oh, yeah, totally. I like falling asleep. I have the exact same sensation or, oh, man, yeah, well, I was I was in school and I could tell you the exact number of, uh, you know, tiles on the wall or the, the total number of, of vowels in the ABCD 
uh, ribbon that ran along the the ceiling. I couldn't tell you a single thing my teacher taught about or anything yeah. about her. But it's it's kind of cool how he's he's writing about extremely normal things, but we're really entertained by him. He brings to life the mundane in a way that, like where Haruki Murakami uses mundane activities in his writing to kind of normalize people and it almost accentuates the weirdness of what's to come. But Wallace doesn't do that. He just, like you said, somehow makes the mundane, uh, such as counting tiles, not necessarily exciting, but he makes them entertaining. He makes it in a way where it's like, oh, yeah, I can see why, like how this person thinks now. And I get a better feeling of the kind of person I'm dealing with in this story because I, too, have a habit of, you know, walking between lines on tiles or something or, or counting ceiling tiles or, you know, yeah. pointing out random letters and words and reform just whatever the character tick is. Uh, this this character in this story, the kid, he happens to uh, he can't read very well. He might have a learning disability, but he could break down every number of letters in a word or a sentence or a mm -hmm. paragraph. And he's just very uh, astute that way. But when it comes to actually reading, he can't do that for shit. But then that also you you give that character trait and then it's like, oh, well, maybe I can understand better why this character is daydreaming so much and then why his daydreams mm -hmm. are so vivid. Another really crazy part of this is the, um, which I almost forgot about, was the subconscious level of the tension in this story. Not to, you know, shift too hard from what I was just saying, but um, <laughs> like when the kid is having these narrations, is dealing with like a blind girl and her family and each part mm -hmm. of her family is going through something else. But then all of a sudden, everything gets very dark. And like the father in his daydream ends up getting his arm mauled off through a, a snowblower. And then the, the daughter, I forget, she gets like beat up or something or uh, something with the dogs too. Something bad happens to them. But then the mother, she dies because her car gets snowed in and she uh, carbon monoxide poisoning and all this awful shit. But then it turns out that was uh, because the kid was subconsciously feeling the tension in the classroom, even though he wasn't paying attention, because the teacher's going fucking crazy. He keeps writing, kill them all on the board all of a sudden, and all the the uh, the students are frozen with fear. Some are crying. Like, it's just the tension is just building up and up around him. He's not aware of it consciously, but subconsciously he it's uh, seeping into his daydream. I thought that was fucking crazy because, I again, oh that was another thing I've never really read somebody uh, like put to paper, even though that's something that happens to us because... I'm sure you've been in situations where maybe you're absorbed in your phone or you're just reading or just not paying attention. And then you can just kind of sense like something's off. Like there's something in the air that's not right. And you look around and then you find there's, you know, you're in a Walmart or something. There's a fucking lady passed out on the floor or there's a car <laughs> accident or there's a panic of some sort. But to be able to write that, that takes a lot of skill as well. And I just really like that aspect because it's crazy how you can have this narration and it's getting darker and darker, these stories that this little, he's just a little kid uh, is having. And it's like, why is this getting so dark? And you realize, because this whole time, at the very beginning, you know, there was a traumatic event. He keeps calling it a traumatic mm -hmm. event. So there's no surprise that something very bad happens. What exactly happens? You're like, ooh, I don't know. I thought it was actually going to be worse than what it was. But yeah, um, still, just like the kids experience, the little seven-year-olds, it would be very traumatic. Hey, fucker, don't scratch me. Sorry, I'll stop. Son of a bitch. I was feeling hungry. <laughs> you were under the table scratching my foot. Saw those thighs. I was like, oh, gotta get me some. Ooey gooey. But, um, Give me some baby rays. <laughs> <laughs> but 
but I uh, I just I really liked how he he did that too, and just uh, I've noticed that in his writing, like his tension building is very different from how other writers go about, at least that I've read in the past. Yeah, it's um that was actually one thing I I told my wife. I was like, holy crap! Like after reading this story, I feel like I needed an almost an anxiety pill or something like that because I was like, holy shit, that was intense. <laughs> She's like, what happened? I was like absolutely nothing like nobody <laughs> got hurt like but holy shit that was crazy man as I, I was like oh my gosh yeah his his ability to plant these and what he does is he doesn't even hide it i've read it a few times in um i want to say definitely in the shining um and a few times in duma key just to cite one author uh stephen king um, where the author will plant a, a very clear clue in front of your face. I mean, he could hit you over the head with it and you'd be like, I don't even know what that is. That's crazy. Huh? I'm going to ignore it. Um, and then later on, there's just this culmination and I still don't know how, uh, David Foster Wallace did it, but it's, it's absolutely insane. And it made me want to write better. I I need to figure out how he does this so I can do it because this is amazing. And just, you know, I was, I don't know about you. I was equally as invested in the fake family that the, uh, the kid was um, talking about and like narrating in his head and just daydreaming. He wrote that family so well that for a moment I was like, wait, is this real? Like, is this also of like, is this really? And I was like, oh yeah, this is just the kid's imagination. I was like, what the fuck? Like, that's incredible. like all this horrible stuff is happening to the blind girl. I was like, you don't even freaking talk about it. And it, I think it was all born of uh, the, the narrator of the story saw two dogs humping yeah. outside or something like that. And that's how like, you know, the, the dog being humped was actually belonging. It was a runaway from this and that. I was like, how did you get here? That's amazing because my mind works exactly the same way. Yeah. He built a whole story just from, not just the whole story, a uh, divergent story that splits off into both parents and a little girl and the dog's journey just from seeing two dogs humping. And then he split them up comic book style into panels. That was like saying that out loud. You're like, how would that work in, you know, a narrative uh, in prose? But he does it very well. Like it's it's excellent. I really liked it. I've been spacing these, unlike you who's just, you know, reading this like a normal, I'm going to read the whole book. I've been spacing these out because you brought up a great point. It makes me want to write better, but this would definitely affect my writing style. And since I'm Mm -hmm. currently writing a book that is completely different from anything he's writing, I do not want that to blend in. So I'm spacing it out so I don't get that oversaturation of David Foster Wallace. And all of a sudden, I'm like, why did I use so many descriptors in this? Why am I info dumping right now? That has nothing to do with my story. Why is my paragraph 10 pages long? I don't get it. That's the one thing I will say if you're, as my only dive into Wallace's work, if you were to read this stuff, you have to be able and you have to be willing to read a paragraph that will be a whole page long because that's most Mm -hmm. of it. At best, I would say maybe each page will have two paragraphs, but most of them are just one. That doesn't. For me, that's not like insurmountable by any means. I have no problem with that. Though when it came to that first story, I did because it was just so fucking boring, uh, which was done purposely. But I'm just like, I don't care. Uh, This story, though, I didn't find it a problem. Um, I'm interested to Mm -hmm. see the upcoming stories. I wanted to read something here. 
This was, these are not my thoughts or my opinions on this story. I just found this on Reddit and I thought it was really interesting. And since my lungs are fucked up, I might have trouble reading this. So this was posted by one Robert Jordan the Red. Uh, this was two years ago. So Robert Jordan. A, Robert Jordan. I don't think he was fighting anybody in any wars. It's not that Robert Jordan. No. Uh, from yeah, Hemingway's yeah. work, if that's who you're thinking. Oh, no. I was thinking about the Wheel of Time guy. It could be that Robert Jordan. Whoever wrote this was very intelligent, much smarter than I. (laughs) Robert Jordan died like five years ago. So you're saying maybe he uh, time traveled to write this on Reddit. Absolutely. That's what that's what I'm saying. Anyway, the title of the short story is a reference to one of the closing lines of Joyce's A Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man. Welcome, O life. I go to encounter for the millionth time the reality of experience and to forge in the smithy of my soul, the uncreated conscious of my race. It also serves as a poetical response to the aesthetic theory proclaimed in this line from Joyce's novel, which is the summation of the entire line of argument throughout the novel. In Portrait, Joyce lays out an aesthetic theory that recognizes art as a momentic artifact of reality as experienced by and filtered through the artist's mind, his soul. Steven, the main character, invisit... Oh, fuck. <laughs> Fucking lung. I feel like I'm going to die. Like that. <laughs> Some people like, wish I did. <laughs> Every break you do, you should just insert a fuck, fuck, <laughs> or a homer, don't. <laughs> Steven, the main character, massages his soul or inward cognitive functions as a site in which art, the uncreated conscious of his race, can be formed through the raw material of the reality of his experience. Uh, and this is more of this person's opinion. I believe that in The Soul is Not a Smithy, Wallace is criticizing the straightforward, uh, get off the fucking table. Why, why are you here? Why are you doing I'm this? Sorry. God damn it, oh, Ash. Put your pants on. No, this fucking cat that bit me is coming back for more. I believe that... <laughs> I believe in that... What was this story called? This guy put it in fucking abbreviation. <laughs> I believe that in The Soul is Not a Smithy, Wallace is criticizing the straightforward metaphor of art as being forged mimetically from purely sensory experience by stressing the complications arising from the intermediary third element, the cognitive function of the artist. In Joyce's summation, this third element is described as a soul, as unproblematic force whose function is purely positively creative. In Wallace's story, however, the cognitive function of the narrator constantly disrupts and upsets the formation, the forging of the narrative. The narrator's cognitive function fails him. He cannot remember the details of the trauma accurately enough to form an authentic aesthetic narrative of it. The entire narrative is disjointed, confused, fitting between events later on in the narrator's life. His construction of the second narrative that takes place within the wire meshing of the within the wire meshing of the window and the primary narrative which is trying in vain to be told through the medium of the narrator's defunct smithy. The emergence of Ruth Simmons within the primary narrative is a further indication of the inability of the artist's soul, his cognitive functions, to form narratives accurate to real experience as the fictional narrative begins to merge with the narrative purporting to represent an event which actually happened. Uh, and Ruth was the the blind, fake blind girl that uh, was in his, you know, daydream, by the way. Yeah, I think uh, that was her surname. Yeah. This is perhaps one of the central themes of all of Wallace's writing, the third element, the cognitive function of the subject, rendering all interactions between subject and object, art and reality, author and reader, or even just human to human in the real world, outside of an aesthetic framework, problematic, deficient, or outright impossible. The narrative of The Soul is Not a Smithy is an allegory of the failure of all aesthetic narratives, indeed all art, to be authentic and accurate representations of the reality of experience. 
The soul is not a smithy. It is more like a Borgesian hall of distorted mirrors that makes the chances of an image authentic and true to reality emerging from out uh, the other end nigh impossible. Borgesian, I'm sorry, that threw me off. I never want to read Borgesian, the word Borgesian too often. I don't know about you, but I totally jacked off to all those words. Like, oh my gosh. That is the typical David Wallace fan, by the way, (laughs) is... uh, Oh my gosh. Is uh, that guy. Um, no, I think maybe we're atypical then. I'm happy about that because like, I can understand where he's talking. You read some other stories by him and you're like, hey, I can totally see your narrative or your views on advertising or, you know, like in um, Mr. Squishy, the ridiculousness of the advertising machine and all this stuff. Like, I get it. You know, makes sense. Totally understand. I'm just accepting this and understanding this and applying this to my own psyche in a completely different way than probably. I mean, maybe maybe Wallace uh, intended it to be all like hyper cerebral and, you know, hoity toity, you know, pinkies out, whatever shit. But at least for me, I'm the reason I'm enjoying these stories, even Mr. Squishy is as painful as it was. Because it, it's, I'm able to find things that pertain to me, and I don't need to necessarily have those align with some sort of English major's, you know, wet dream of literary complexity. It's like, no, fuck you. I'm just like, <laughs> if I, I want to enjoy the Raven because it's about a talking bird, then fuck <laughs> you. I want to talk about a talking bird, and that's cool to me. But you know, but it's, it's an allegory for his lost love and how she will never come back to him and his guilt of her diet. I don't know. Um, well, obviously, but it's like you know, you don't need to necessarily. That's the glory of fiction. I think that's 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 a wonderment of fiction. Is that it can go deep, but saying that everyone needs to hit the same depths as you is like, you know, it's it's just kind of ridiculous. It's like I'm a really poor swimmer, like physically in real life. I'm a poor swimmer. And so if you were to say, hey, you know, you need to swim even a tenth of a mile, touch this buoy and then like tread water for, you know, three minutes, I'd be like, okay, cool. So what I need to do is what fill out a living will and (laughs) do all this stuff because I'm I'm a die. It's like (laughs) I can't handle that. And I think if if folks, you know, are really intimidated by um, David Foster Wallace, it's by the narrative and the assholes and the cerebrals. That are all surrounding him, saying like, "Oh man, this great! This guy is like the cerebral blah blah blah. He's the orgasm of intellect in the 21st century, and you know all this stuff." It's like, guys, calm down. Let other people come to him at their own pace. Appreciate him for what he's showing. Like in the Soul of the Smithy, maybe they what they get out of this is a connection towards man. I daydreamed all day long, or man, I had a problem. Um, you know, freaking reading or whatever like that. And I notice everything around me other than that. Maybe that's a deep connection for that person. And it doesn't need to be more. I'm not sure if I see the same allegory as this guy. The, uh, what, what did he say it was? The allegory of the failure of the of all aesthetic narratives to be authentic and accurate, accurate representations of the reality of experience. Uh, which is, to me, just a long-winded way, way of saying that most people's stories aren't based uh, in reality they're not true experiences is that what he's trying to say that seems stupid you made me wet saying that so well he used know. the word aesthetic about 15 fucking times in that paragraph so uh <laughs> i don't know if david foster wallace was going for the aesthetic in this or the the uh 
you know, the failure of aesthetic and reality or whatever. Like, I don't, I don't see, I, I didn't really see that in the writing. Like, wh what is the aesthetic here? Maybe in the narration of the daydreaming, the way he wrote that in the panel form and things like that. Certainly not in the tension building or that, you know, in that regard. Um, I, I didn't get to watch any interviews on his explanation of this story solely. I wish I would have because maybe he broke it down in a better way where we could have got more of his thoughts on this. But I don't think he wrote this, uh, as you said, to be some cerebral intellectual asshat. I think he was, uh, uh, well, I know he went into the story. He wasn't planning on it being this long or anything. Um, yeah. I think he was just maybe kind of experimenting with a different way to tell a story, if anything. I think that'd be the most simplistic way to put it. Um, yeah. Like you said, I don't think anybody needs to go into Wallace's work thinking, uh, you know, this is going to be an intellectually, intellectually superior endeavor and I need to have a certain reading level and be able to think on these terms and I need to be very cerebral in my approach. No, just read it and if you enjoy it, you enjoy it. If you don't, you don't. You don't have to think. You can if you want, like we had yeah. the Blood Meridian talk. You can read more into it than what might be there or what might not be there. By the way, McCarthy has two new novels coming out. I know you're excited for that. <laughs> Sorry, I was so excited I wanted to throw up. Well, I'm assigning that to you for back-to-back uh, -back book reviews for the site. So. I hate Yay. you so much. I'll buy them for you. How about that? But you have to read <laughs> them right. within a week. <laughs> I hate everything. <laughs> But yeah, so it's like the whole as the aesthetic aspect of this story, uh, or even the previous story, yes, there is an aesthetic there because the way he writes does come across very specifically. There's a very specific detail to how he writes the info dumping that that's what we would call it is info dumping. Obviously, for him, it serves a purpose because when you think of info dumping, normally you think of like long exposition that tells you like, oh, oh, the the Saturn has blown up in the year. 2099 and this is why the intergalactic federate no like that's info dumping his version of info dumping is just adding way too much information that you might not think needs to be in there uh such as mm -hmm. in mr squishy where we had to go into great detail about what the fucking whatever the cookies or whatever the the, the treat was was made of and what people felt about it and uh what buildings are made of or just whatever dumb shit was in that story this story, I, it had a lot of detail and info, but it was uh, more purposeful and it was more in relation to the way this kid saw the world, which is what I liked. I don't mm -hmm. know how, again, I'm stuck on that stupid aesthetic thing. I don't understand what that guy was trying to point out here because what is the aesthetic of this kid telling a story from the future about a traumatic event from his childhood? Why do we always have to have a story where you read it and you go, well, what was the author really trying to say? What was his real yeah. meaning? Like, why do we always have to do that? I, I feel like it, it needs to be uh, more of a, like, you can read a story and know that the author, you, okay, so yeah, ideally, you would read a story, you would know that the author is trying to sell, tell you something deeper. You enjoy the story as itself, but you know, it, it's, it's almost like having this, just this intuition that there's something around the corner. So if you were to in, investigate it a little better, a little, a little more thoroughly, maybe you would come around and see exactly what the author is seeing. But it shouldn't be another like, oh, I do that, and what I see is another corner, and what I see around that is another. Like it shouldn't be a, an infinite digression in that way. It should be like with the soul is not a smithy. 
you get the appreciation of this story that's told. And if you read these stories in order, which I would definitely recommend being as far as I am in the book, I feel like there actually might be a reason um, that it's put in this order. Um, If you read Mr. Squishy and then go into The Soul is Not a Smithy, you're going to be jarred. You're going to be just, it's going to catch you off guard. It's going to be immediately intriguing. And I think that that's one aspect of it. I think if we're going to look at these stories, um, we can't look at them separately. We almost have to look at the book as a whole, just like you wouldn't pull a, a random chapter from, you know, the, the return of the King and be like, let's investigate the super deep and see what the author and it's like, no, what, what, what was Tolkien saying in the entire story and the entire trilogy? What's the point? And so, yeah, I, I don't understand what that, that Reddit user is saying by, you know, you need to have an aesthetic. Maybe I'm too stupid to understand. So that's always a possibility. Well, he was but, doing it in, in reference to James Joyce's work, which James Joyce obviously, as a modernist, had an aesthetic to his work, which, in my opinion, makes it almost unreadable. Doublingers, mm-hmm. I wasn't able to get through the one time I tried that just because of uh, not just the language, just I just found it boring. Finnegan's Wake is impenetrable, in my opinion, unless you're in a book club who spends 20 years breaking down one book. I... Uh, mm-hmm. I understand the purpose of his work. I didn't read the artist, but I do know that that is uh, one of his more accessible works. So I w- I'm actually planning on reading that sometime because uh, I do like James Joyce's writing style when he's being normal or you know <laughs> readable before he went all fucking super artsy fartsy. <laughs> Speaking of farts, <laughs> to say uh, Foster <laughs> Wallace was going for a James Joyce aesthetic, I don't, I don't agree with it. that. Yeah, I don't, I don't see that. Um, and if he's just saying, like, what was this guy saying at the opening here? Hoity toity, fingers in the air. Uh, it was a response to the aesthetic theory proclaimed in this line from Joyce's novel, which is the summation of the entire line of argument throughout the novel. Uh, so the aesthetic theory of Joyce's is that uh, he recognizes art as a momentic artifact of reality as experienced by and filtered through the artist's mind. Uh, so not even the character. Oh, also, and the main character. I guess the artist and main character are separated. I don't know. Again, I would, I, I'm trying to decipher that. I would say that he's trying to state that the aesthetic, which, again, I don't know why he's using that word so much. I don't think it means what he thinks it means <laughs> uh, in, the, in this regard. Um, you're kidding, my father. But if you're trying that. to find the, the, uh, the realism in the artist, and the care, and I'm assuming the artist means the person who wrote the book and the main character of the book. Uh, are you combining them as one? Are you saying the main character is a direct representation of the artist's mind? Are you saying that character thinks like the writer? I don't. Not in this story for sure. I don't think that's. Uh, I wouldn't say the seven year old boy in this story is David Foster Wallace. Um, yeah, it's I though mean, he obviously and, and, in he added his real world ideas into the story, but I wouldn't say mm-hmm. any character was him. No, it's and you can look up um, easily on YouTube any any interviews about uh, the Soul is Not a Smithy. There was a really good one that I sent you. And no, I don't. I don't. the The purpose of this story, I don't feel, is to really challenge anything other than uh, the importance of life and the events around us. Um, to really narrate how inconsequential we view important things until they're right upon us and then we have no idea what's going on you know maybe a look at it there there's a lot of different directions you can go really because it's it's 
there is a, a lot of depth. I feel like there are a lot of corners you can turn, but to say the argument that he's using about, you know, the, the artist's perception and all this stuff, it really doesn't apply to this because it's not talking about a very common feature in Wallace's work, which is like advertising and corporate America and, you know, all these things which are featured uh, far later in this volume. But um, it, it's it's not really present in the story. This one's really, it seems more an exercise or a a, a way of viewing, you know, personal memory, personal importance, um, because he does is, isn't the main character like writing letters to his son at some point. That's that's the feel I got in some of the excerpts. Like this person did this this time, and you know, in the yearbooks they were able to find this and blah blah blah. Well, this felt, uh, these, felt like a very uh, like a vastly more personal story than Mister Squishy. Like this was. Oh, yeah definitely more of a personal style uh piece of fiction versus mr squishy which almost read until the end almost reads like a fucking either a manual or uh yeah I don't, I don't know like you're in a seminar or something it was very boring but this story is like actual narration and has uh varying plot points and stuff but and i think you were right about like the the personal writing to his kid or something because it is somebody from the future telling what happened to them Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's where the weight seems to come from. It's like it it almost feels like okay, so we're reading something, and then we experience it through somebody's point of view. So there's there's a level of depth right there, and then we're realizing you know a depth of fantasy and a depth of reality of what's going on with their classmates and the psycho teacher. And then through all of this, it's like taking it. It's like jettisons you up to this person who's writing to everyone is realizing, Hey, you know, this is, this is kind of what's going on. I was terrified of this as my, as being a kid. And you, you kind of like waffle through depths as you're looking at the story. But at no time did I think that, Oh man, what I'm experiencing is a question of what I'm experiencing through what I'm experiencing, which is kind of what that Reddit uh, thing stated was like, you can't trust what you're, the artist can't trust what they're saying unless it's what they create through what they're seeing through what they're saying. I'm like, okay, you need to stop. Well, just like looking through this thread on that Reddit in the response to that guy, like we stated earlier, is a very certain subject subsect of uh, people fall into the, I'm a fan of David Foster Wallace. I'm an intellectual. Like that's what I got in that thread is everyone's uh, either very smart or pretending to be very smart. And so they're inferring all kinds of meaning to a story that might not be there. I would lean towards probably not there. I would imagine David Foster Wallace's work gets that a lot because he's considered the intellectual writer, the uh, not so much counterculture, but like he, he fits a very specific style that a lot of people tried to mimic over the years. Again, he was the intellectual author. He uh, was almost too smart, like the tortured genius almost. Yeah, uh, I, would, I would give yeah, him that. Sure. I would say that would be his, uh, he would fit that bill. And there is a, even besides his depression issues and stuff, there is a romanticized version of him that people want to aspire to, like a Kurt Cobain, where they see this yeah. guy who, again, the tortured genius, uh, is very appealing to people, and they want to mimic that without actually having the have the tortured part. So you end up <laughs> having people who fake it. That doesn't work out well. And then you also have the intellectual side, where you have people fake that as well. And then you have uh, people who memorize the dictionary and try to sound more intelligent than they are. 
but their uh, arguments never seem to hold up in proper debate. We see that a lot on uh, TV and any form of news anymore, any of these talking heads in the media, which I'm sure David Foster Wallace would have wrote amazing stories about if he was still alive today, because uh, our current media is ridiculous. But uh, without <laughs> going too much, because we're almost 40 minutes into this, uh, uh, I wanted to do a deeper dive into this, but I've been fucking deathly sick all week. Like I said, I'm at the tail end of this, so that's good, but uh, I wasn't... It was like one of those things, like my writing's been fucking awful this week too, but it's one of those things where it's like, I don't have the energy to do anything. Like I barely got reading, like I read just enough, like a page or two every night of whatever I'm reading. And it's like that, even that sucks. Cause I was reading chapters a night, writing chapters a night. Like I was on such a hot streak and I got sick and, uh, so nobody cares about my woes. Uh, you do Ash. I know you do. <laughs> I, I, you're, you're. You know, you're a heartfelt guy who loves his buddies. I do. To the very I, end. I do. So much <laughs> love. Uh, so I will end this episode on saying I uh, give this a five out of five, this story. I really like this one. Uh, so now I'm one, I don't know, one and one on David Foster Wallace stories in this collection so far. I didn't like the first one. <laughs> I like this one. Both were very interesting, oh. though. I will say that. It's uh, The first one was definitely really interesting, so I give it. You know, both of them high marks and interesting. The entertaining aspect, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely one in one with you. With uh, this soul is not the soul is not a smithy is uh, definitely a lot more entertaining than uh, Mr. Squishy. Put it this way: I would read this story again, would not read Mr. Squishy again. The next story that we will be covering here, which you already read, um, it's like three pages. Uh, another pioneer. If that's only three pages, I suppose we should do a breakdown of the next two stories then. You say that's a good idea. Wait, well, oh, I'm it, sorry. Uh, Incarnation. Next story should be Incarnations yeah. of Burned Children, a then another pioneer. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll do both of those because I, unless you feel Incarnations is a story we're going to have a lot to talk about. No, it just made me really angry and uncomfortable for a minute. So, well, but the less time we spend on that, the more time we can spend on you know, the other story, which is a lot more interesting. Well, that's good. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> We hope you folks enjoyed this. Um, I'm glad we didn't do this yesterday because I sounded like I was gargling molten lava most of the day. Uh, Oh, God, you sound like Gollum. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Again, I still don't know when I'm going to publish these episodes uh, because I have not recorded the normal podcast this week, so I don't know if I'm going to have an episode for Tuesday. I might have to fucking either get Spencer over here real quick today or just uh, do some bullshit of my own. I don't know. Uh, But anyway, folks, we thank you for listening, and we will check you next time.